You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs. Make sure to follow me on social media at TWTerryPod. So for those who followed the show, you most likely know by now that I like to do deep dives into people's stories, and it's not uncommon for these episodes to be an hour and a half or even two hours at times. This episode, however, is going to be shorter because the man I interviewed is an extremely busy man. But I'm so thankful for the 40 minutes I got to speak with him, and I promise you his testimony packs a punch. You'll hear how his childhood and life got flipped upside down when his dad fell away from the Lord, leading to my guest witnessing domestic abuse, affairs, and eventually the divorce of his parents. Not long after that, his sister was given a 20% chance to live after finding out she had cancer. With the single mom who was struggling to make ends meet, you'll hear how the local church stepped into his family's life to love on them, support them, and be there for them. Getting the call to preach the gospel, this man now travels the world sharing the good news of what Jesus has done in his life and what Jesus can do in your life as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Micah McDonald's Testimony. All right, everyone. Well, I am here with author, speaker, pastor, Micah McDonald. Micah, did I miss anything there? You you, you wear multiple hats. Uh, yes, you missed um, Bitcoin owner. You missed um, <laughs> you missed husband. You missed father. You missed sports enthusiast. You missed Minnesota Timberwolves, Wild Vikings, and and what other team am I missing? Timberwolves. Oh, Twins enthusiast. Twins. You missed ice cream enthusiast. You missed oh, workout enthusiast. You missed travel enthusiast. You missed <laughs> epic failure on my behalf here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, uh, I'm kind of joking about the Bitcoin one. Um, kind of joking about that one. Uh, no, yeah, no. I'm excited to be on, man, and I'm grateful, grateful you asked. So thankful to be here with you today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You've uh, been at our church, River of Life Church, a couple different times to come and speak and always been blown away at your speaking ability and even more so blown away by your story. You would show uh, or share snippets of your story each time you'd come. And I'm just like, man, I got to hear this guy's full story. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to get into it today. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, just be able to give you this platform to get your story out there. And Micah, we always kind of start out these interviews with where did you grow up? So obviously I know you're, you're local Minnesota, but where did you grow up in Minnesota? Uh, so I grew up in Egan, Minnesota specifically. Um, so born and raised Egan, all I've known is Minnesota my whole life. I don't know anything different in terms of living or residence. However, I have traveled to like 48 out of the 50 states in America. And I tell everyone all the time, Minnesota is the best. <laughs> um, and I still believe that with all my heart, Minnesota is the best. I love that we have all four seasons. Um, 
I just love the lakes. I love, I can be in downtown area. If I want to be in 20 minutes, I'm in the suburbs, but then I can go out to river of life area. I can go out in rural and go out in cabins and fish or, you know, so I love, love Minnesota. And this is what I've known my whole life. So I'm grateful to be a Minnesotan. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Got to have that accent. Otherwise you're not a true Minnesotan, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Michael, what was family life like for you growing up? Yeah. So, um, you know, mom, dad, uh, um, they loved Jesus, uh, with their whole heart. My dad was saved in something called the Jesus people movement, um, which was kind of this radical Jesus movement that was kind of spreading across different parts of the U S et cetera. And my dad left a lifestyle of drugs, um, just kind of a crazy lifestyle. And so I came into the picture and they raised me here in Egan. I'm the oldest in my family. I have three younger sisters. Uh, shout out to all the men out there where they have all sisters uh, growing up. I'm one that's of a them. Real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very interesting, unique uh, thing to have is all sisters. But have three of them. I'm the oldest. And um, yeah, I would say family life was great. Um, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I felt very blessed. Um, felt like I had a dad who was very active in my life. I know a lot of people can't always say the same. My dad was my sports coach, um, soccer coach, basketball coach. I just, my family was very active, very integrated into church. Um, so much so that my dad and mom helped plant a church, um, and help run a church. They weren't the main leaders, but they were very active in helping plant the church. My dad was the volunteer youth pastor of the church. And so, Man, I grew up in a household of faith. Uh, I remember my mom, I think I was around the age of seven, every night she'd read the uh, children's Bible to me with pictures, which I think anything's better with pictures, let's be real. But I remember <laughs> I, I remember the children's Bible every night she'd read it to me. And then one night in particular, it was the story of King David. I remember just being like struck um, just by a desire for God. My mom could tell something was happening. And she said, Micah, do you want to receive Christ into your life? And I just was overcome, overwhelmed with emotion. I was on my bedroom floor, seven years old. And my mom said, all right, well, let's pray together right here, right now to receive Jesus. And so that was the beginning of my relationship with Jesus. And then, man, um, yeah. And so I grew up in a home watching dad and mom love God love Jesus, bring their family to church. Um, so I would say family life to answer your question, was great. Fantastic. The first 12, 13 years of my life. Um, after that first 12, 13 years, that's where some shifts came. Uh, some major things started playing out. So yeah. What's, what's get into that. What happened around that 12, 13 year old mark in your life? Yeah. So because I was the oldest in my family, I was just aware of some things going on that maybe my younger sisters weren't. And I just noticed there was a slow fade and slow changes being made in our home. Um, I just noticed things at the church that they were helping out at was getting a little rocky. Uh, I was getting a little um, like something was off, something wasn't going right. And then my dad stopped being the volunteer youth pastor. And I thought, well, that was kind of weird. And then the lead pastor who planted the church, their whole family left to go to Arizona. Um, And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And then realized, well, 
our family just kind of stopped going to church. And it was in those times where I was like, well, we used to go to church every Sunday. So why did we just all of a sudden stop? This isn't making sense. I was a little confused by it. And then I just noticed uh, my dad's friends started to change. Um, He used to have kind of a, you know, a core group of guys that I saw my dad hang out with. And then he started getting new friends, started hanging out with different people. The music started changing in our house. Uh, my dad's appearance started changing. I remember my dad started making these like large purchases of like really flashy motorcycles and different things like that. Not that motorcycles are bad. I love motorcycles. I still want one to this day. But I just noticed, <laughs> I just noticed in a, a a change. There was a shift going on at home, and I grew up the first like eleven years of my life. I grew up reading the Bible uh, uh, because I saw my dad read the Bible. I saw my own 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 family modeling that for me. And I remember um, a, a night in particular where I opened up my dad's bedroom door where I typically see him read the Bible. And now I opened up his door and I saw hard drugs like laid out on the bed. And my dad quick tried to hide them and cover them. And my dad said, hey, son, why don't you go in the other room and watch the game? And I remember multiple times seeing my dad try to hide things from me, thinking maybe I didn't see it, maybe I didn't understand. But I watched this fade go from, man, a life on fire for Jesus, worship music always on in our home, uh, a heart to just be at church together. And now no church, music changing, drugs coming into my house. I saw alcohol coming into my house. Um, I saw all these changes begin to take place right around that teenage years. Um, And then after that, I just saw the marriage in my home, my parents' marriage getting more uh, kind of rocky, more fights, more arguing, uh, more and more things like that that began to take place. And so, uh, once again, I feel like my sisters are maybe a little more sheltered from what I saw, but I could see something was coming. And then I remember specifically, my bedroom was just across the hallway from my parents' bedroom. And I remember multiple nights, um, just hearing my mom cry herself to sleep in her room. And I remember being wake, woken up usually by cries or different things like that. And I'd walk across into our room. I'd say, Mom, why are you crying? Mom, what's going on? And I'd look over to the left and realize my dad was gone. Uh, he was away late at night. And I found out the reason was is because he was out at the bars coming home one, two, three o'clock in the morning. And I think the pain my mom was enduring was she was watching her marriage end right before her eyes. I remember she was trying to get counseling. She was trying to get help, um, trying to do different things to try to save marriage, salvage the marriage. And then um, I remember as a young man, just seeing things, discovering things, finding things. And then me having to go to my mom saying, hey, mom, I found this. Do you know what this is? And um, and then I remember seeing uh, before the divorce, just affairs take place. Um, I saw things with my own eyes that no young man should ever have to see. And those were some of the most painful, hardest moments in my life to see those things play out. And then a separation came where my dad no longer lived in our home. But the day that was really defining for me was it was in our living room. And my mom called the family meeting and sat me and my three sisters down in our living room. And when the meeting uh, started, she says, why don't you tell the kids? Why don't you tell them what's going on? And I remember my dad 
my sisters were behind me. I was sitting on the floor. And I remember my dad saying, kids, just so you know, I'm going to divorce your mom after 17 years of marriage. This is who I am now. This is my life. This is what I want to do. Um, we're better off not being married. And then I watched as my uh, dad walked out on our house after 17 years of marriage. Um, I just remember the feeling of being shook. I remember the feeling of of being overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And now all of a sudden in a glimpse, I became the man of the house. And so I have three younger sisters. And I remember um, walking to my bedroom and making a phone call. And I called one of my best friends at the time and just told him what happened. And he said, all right, I'm on my way to pick you up. And uh, I remember him and his dad came over, picked me up, brought me away from the home. And uh, just remember feeling devastated. I had never thought this was possible. Uh, I had no idea what divorce meant. I didn't know what it meant to grow up with a mom and dad that were going to be away from each other full time. And then I watched my mom, who I stayed with primarily with my sisters, I watched her become a single mom, try to raise four kids. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mom for all those years. And I watched as she went to school to go try to get a degree because she didn't have a degree. I watched as she worked multiple jobs to try to provide for us and put food on the table for us. I remember multiple conversations where my mom would say, you know, I don't know if we're going to get the child support this month. I don't know if we're going to be able to make our mortgage payment. And I remember money always being tight in her house. Money, always wondering if we're going to have enough, always wondering if we're going to be able to make it work. And so I just remember that being a struggle for us. I remember that being something where just wasn't sure uh, if we were going to make it financially. And so I had the burden of seeing a mom be a single mom now. And then now me becoming a preteen teenager years, just remembering that I wasn't sure if money, if we were going to make it financially. And so those are things that I had to navigate through. Those are things I had to walk through. Those are things that I had to endure in my life. And I remember I thought, man, we need to catch a break. You know, we need to find a way that we can catch a break from everything going on. And I wasn't sure how that break was going to come. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. But I remember uh, just kind of one of the a turning point in some regards. I remember one of the best decisions a single mom ever made was she phoned a friend and she said, hey, where's the best church? that I can bring my family to? Where's the best church that I can bring my kids to? And I remember uh, that church that we showed up to was a church called Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington. It was originally called Bloomington Assembly God, and they changed that. And I remember uh, not wanting to go in, not wanting to do anything with church, not wanting to kind of start over again and trying to find a church and all these things. And I, uh, I remember. Um, that day when I walked in, I remember my meeting my best friend, uh, who ended up becoming one of the best friends of my life. <clears throat> and then soon after we found a church for our family to go to, uh, my mom was tucking my younger sister in bed one night and, uh, just kind of scratching her back. And then my mom came across a big bump in her leg and just said, Hey, you know, Victoria, what's this? She's eight years old. And she said, Mom, it's just a bruise. Mom, it's just a bruise. Don't worry about it, Mom. And I remember my mom bringing her to the doctor, and they required that they do a biopsy to find out what was going on. 
And when they did a biopsy of the lump in her leg, they found out it was a six inch by eight inch tumor that was wrapped around her femur bone. And the doctors uh, said, hey, this is stage four. We found it late, but it's a cancer called synovial cell sarcoma cancer. And uh, your daughter, so my sister, uh, was given a 20% chance to live. So I literally just watched my dad walk out of my life. We go to this new church, trying to get oriented in that, this big church. And now I watch as my eight-year-old sister is given a 20% chance to live. And man, I'll just tell you, just for a young person to walk through a divorce is enough. It's a lot. But then yeah. on, on, on top of it, to have an eight-year-old sister who says, hey, she's probably probably not going to make it because we're finding it so late. I mean, that's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to go through, a lot to walk through, a lot for anybody to walk through. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, and so she she battled that uh, cancer um, for a while. She went through like 15 surgeries. Um, in fact, one the tumors had spread from her leg to her lungs. And usually when tumors spread to your lungs, it's looking pretty dire. Uh, it's not looking the best. That's usually a kind of a sign that you don't really have much longer to live. Uh, partly because operating on your lungs all the time and trying to get nodules and tumors out can be a strenuous process, can be hard. And so the fact that it was now spreading uh, just looked really bleak. So she went through all these surgeries. She went through all the chemotherapy and radiation her body could handle. Um, and then Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up uh, and kind of heard about her story. And they gave her a wish. Her wish was to go swim with the dolphins in Florida. And there we were trying to enjoy Florida, but as a broken family, uh, recently divorced. And I just remember just always feeling caught up in the middle uh, of parents fighting of living in two different worlds, a world that my dad wanted to live, a world that my mom was living, and then my family just trying to navigate my sister. I'm like, can't we just enjoy these moments with my sister? Why, why does there need to be fighting? Why does there need to be drama? Can't we just enjoy moments with a girl who is now 10? Um, the doctors are saying maybe there's not much left to live, you know? And so I remember yeah. they're always just being at struggle, that tension. So, um, yeah, so those are some of the challenges early on as a teenager that was faced. Um, just yeah, kinda... and just to just to jump in here, Micah, this is all happening in a very, very close amount of time too, right? Like, I don't want to like uh, understate that. Like, this is like, it almost kind of sounds like bam, 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 one thing after another for you at what, 12, 13 years old at the time for you? Yes, exactly. This is all within like a year span, um, all wow. these things happening. And so, I mean, the cancer was a two-year span, but from the time of the divorce to the time of the cancer diagnosis, it was fast. It was very fast. And our whole world was flipped upside down because not only did our dad leave, and we're trying to navigate that, but now literally my sister lived in the hospital. Like it felt like for months, or it felt like for days at a time. And so I grew up with a mom trying to figure out money, trying to figure out a job. I grew up with uh, a sister who's in the hospital all the time, losing her hair. Um, mom and dad are alternating shifts. 
at trying to figure out who's going to watch her. And, um, yeah, I just, I just remember that being a very dark, emotional time, you know, like my mom is grieving the loss of her marriage, still hasn't fully had adequate time to do that. I'm watching, you know, uh, uh, my mom trying to make the best decisions she can along with uh, my dad, but they're divorced. So even them in that process had a hard time seeing eye to high on decisions with my sister's health. I mean, I'm talking like so many stress factors in my home, so many from medical decisions to financial decisions to um, divorce decisions to, I mean, so many things. And I felt like I took a lot of it. Uh, I was the oldest in my home. I felt like my mom confided me in a lot of ways. She processed a lot with me in a lot of ways. It could be that I was the only male in the home, but I just felt like I was exposed to a lot of different things in a very short amount of time. And I'll just say this, man, if I didn't have Jesus and if I didn't have the local church, I literally don't know where I'd be today. Like literally don't know where I'd be today. Yeah. That was going to be my, my question here is, how did you get through that all? Because for anyone yeah. to get through that is incredible, but let alone, again, someone your age, your life being flipped upside down. Yeah. T- tell us how Jesus walked with you through that. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta imagine this with me. Like imagine your dad being the one who is like a spiritual leader that you look up to in your home, a father that you look up to in your home. And now all of a sudden, he doesn't ever want to go to church again. He doesn't ever want to do anything with God, really. Like, imagine a young person watching that and then scratching their head being like, is my faith real? Is it my dad's faith? Is it mine? Like, it was confusing to watch that. And then to watch disease and sickness and different challenges come into my home, that can be a lot of pressure for one person. And and I'll I just say this, that um, I say Jesus and the local church have changed my life because honestly, the reason why I say the best decision a single mom ever did was bring her kids to church is because my mom brought me to a place in an environment where I encountered God. Um, She allowed me to, to have moments, even though it was vulnerable, even though I didn't even want to be in church. She allowed a space and place to come every week for me to hear the word of God, for, for me to be around people who ended up becoming spiritual fathers in my life. Um, and so just looking back, I would say it's a combination of Jesus showing up and revealing himself to me at camps, at services, at in my bedroom downstairs to, um, I mean, Wednesday night youth group services, like just a normal Wednesday night youth group service to youth leaders, um, adult youth leaders or volunteers who would just hold me, hug me, uh, make me laugh super hard. Uh, I just watched how God used people. God used himself and people to save me. One of the things scripture says is, has God puts the lonely in families. It also says that God's a defender of the fatherless. And I just feel like I've seen those scriptures come to life. I've watched us go from being lonely to be brought into a spiritual family. I've watched God defend my life. Um, 
I've watched God provide for my life. I've watched him heal my life. I've watched everything who God says he is in scripture. I've watched it play out in my life. Like everything that describes God's character in the Bible, I literally have watched God play it out in my life. And so it's been the most beautiful slash painful uh, thing to ever walk through. But what's awesome is now I'm on the other side of this and now I get to see so much of God's glory being revealed through my life, through my story into others, into helping other people. And so, um, but going back real quick, just about the local churches, I literally remember people paying for my camps, people paying for me to go on missions trips, people, um, randomly, like random people dropping off groceries on our doorstep. Um, people coming and visiting at the hospital, bringing meals, praying. I've always said this. I don't know how people make it apart from the local church. Mm. Like, I don't know how people, anyone can make it apart from Jesus and the local church. I don't understand because I've seen the power of both the local church and the power of Christ. Like I've seen both tangibly played out in my life. And so, yeah, I've watched Jesus. Um, just do incredible, crazy, remarkable things in my life. And then also the the local church. Um, I feel like right now, the topic on the street is church hurt and how church is dumb, church is stupid, church is just a bunch of elitists, people wanting your money. And I just want to say back, that's like the furthest thing from the truth. Are you going to find issues in churches? Yes, because they're made up of people. And you're a person, just like I'm a person. So, yeah, it's not going to be perfect. But, man, like, it's so rich. It's so rewarding. When I say rich, I mean, like, it's filled with just blessings, blessings that God instituted, blessings Amen. that God set up. And so, um, and and oftentimes, people that find problems with the church um, can oftentimes be people who can find a problem with anything anywhere. Um, and there is real church hurt out there and that should never have been done. And that's validated and that's real, but that also isn't a representation of Jesus. That's a representation of someone broken who brought hurt into somebody else's life. And so, um, yeah. And so I've just, um, just been thankful. And then God also used the local church to help pay for my education, uh, North central, uh, I was going to go sell all my belongings to go on the mission field. And I got a phone call from my lead pastor. He said, Micah, we want to pay for all of your education. Where do you want to go to school? And I'm like, what? I'm like, are you serious? Wow, and so I blur- dude. Yeah. And so I blurted out North Central University because I didn't know what to say at the time. And so I ended up going to North Central and got my degree and my church paid for it. Um, every dime, every book. and I just it was like blown away at why. And he said, Micah, we see a call of God on your life and we want to help get you where you're supposed to go. And I've just seen so many God stories like that along the way where it's like, hey, you know how most people have dads in their life who kind of help steer their kids into directions? Well, I didn't have a dad in my life, but I've seen how God, who also describes himself as a father, has been someone who's opened doors like that for me, who's provided for me, who's put other spiritual leaders in my life to help push me along in the call that God has 
on my life. And so, man, um, God's provision. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I've seen God's provision in thousands of ways. Like you know those crazy stories you only hear about in books. Like, shut up, that's insane. <laughs> I've literally lived those stories. I could start a whole book just on God's stories. Well, speaking of that, sorry to cut you off again, but part of that is your sister and what ended up happening with the cancer. Tell us what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my sister battled it for two years. She went through all the chemotherapy, radiation her body could handle, um, did everything medically possible. And um, there was an evangelist that came to our church one night and he just looked at my sister and said, one day, young girl, you're going to come to my church in Tennessee and you're going to give a testimony on how God healed you from your cancer. And we've been praying for two years for a miracle in our church, believing for God to show up. And we uh, brought my sister to her next appointment to do scans to see where the tumors had gone in her chest and her body. And they revealed that there were no more tumors in her body whatsoever. And she's been cancer free now for over uh, like 16, 17 years. The doctors call it I know the doctors call her the miracle child at the hospital. And we literally watched a miracle like right before our very eyes. No one understood how she recovered. And what's crazy is literally almost every child on her cancer floor passed away. I remember going to so many funerals as a young man. And to think that she made it like it was just a miracle, a touch from God that just to this day, still, still blows us away. And we thank God for Victoria. We thank God for her life. Uh, I don't understand why some people don't make it. I don't understand why God healed some. I don't understand all the ways of God. He's still a mystery to me, but that was a powerful, powerful moment for our sister, for our family. And um, to kind of put uh, some other closure to it is uh, um, my dad um, ended up passing away in a motorcycle accident back in 2009. So I was early in my twenties. And, um, uh, I remember a desire of mine was to one day preach with my dad. Cause my dad was in the ministry at one point and I just had this desire to preach with him. Well, what I didn't know is my cousin passed away a month prior, my, a month prior for my dad passing away. And my cousin, uh, the, the parents said, you know, Chuck, that's my dad's name. Would you do the funeral? My dad said, sure, I'll do the funeral. And so as we were driving up to do the funeral, my dad looks at me, he goes, son, just so you know, I'm going to start the message, but I want you to close the message. And what I didn't know is that would be the first and only time I would ever speak with my dad. And then a month later, my dad would end up passing away. And a lot of people ask me like, what happened to your dad? Like, did he come back to Jesus or what happened? And about a couple months before my dad passed away, uh, my dad said, kids, I want to go to church with you. And keep in mind, my dad said he'd never go to church again. And we ended up going to a church. I think it was Church of the Open Door. And it was crazy. Right when we show up to church, my dad's just like bawling, like weeping the whole service. Like he's wearing sunglasses. No one can see his eyes. And I know what's happening. Like the presence of God is hitting my dad. That's what's happening. And uh, I remember the pastor getting up and he said, I've been up all night. I haven't been able to sleep. He said, I just feel like God is telling me I need to preach one more sermon in our past series. And the past series was on immorality. And he goes, 
I just feel like I need to be obedient and preach this message. And I'm listening to the pastor preach the message. And it's he's literally hitting things that my dad has walked through, that my dad went through, that my dad lived out. And I'm just watching like that one message was for my dad. And I just saw before my dad passed away, a, a, a change back, a slow fade back to Jesus, um, following Jesus. And so I say all that to say is uh, um, growing up amid so much trauma, growing up amid so much hurt, growing up amid so many things, um, something pretty special happened. I, um, in my own home, I saw, you know, my dad get arrested and brought to jail because of an altercation with my mom. In this own home, I saw a divorce. In this home, I saw my sister battling cancer. In this home, I've seen so many dark things. But what was really cool is in 2016, my wife and I ended up buying the very home that I grew up in and saw all this devastation, saw all this hardship. And most people, when they hear that, they're like, why in the world would you ever do that? (laughs) Why would you want to put yourself back in the very place where there's so much darkness, so many things you saw? And I just tell people that is the story of God's redemption. That's the story of someone going from death to life because redemption literally means to buy back. Well, what are you buying back? You're buying back the worst parts of your life that you hate. You're buying back the greatest sins you've ever made. You're buying back the death and destruction, and you're literally watching it come to life. And so I'm literally recording this podcast with you in the house I grew up in. And these rooms were once filled with pain, tears, agony, stress. Um, Now they're filled with peace, joy, love, hope, goodness, gentleness. I'm literally watching God write a different story. And one day, my three and five-year-old kids are going to get to hear the story of God's redemption, of God bringing a family from death to life, literally, by saving a young girl. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I think about how I wish my dad could be around to see the life that we get to live. But uh, honestly, my why to my life is it comes from Psalm 71. It says, even when I am old and gray. God, do not forsake me till I declare your power and your faithfulness to the next generation and to all who are to come. And so my why is literally getting to tell the whole world and all these teenagers how faithful God is, how powerful God is, and how he can bring back people from death and bring them to life. And so it's powerful, the ministry that we get to do. It's powerful, the thousands of people's lives I've literally seen transformed by the gospel. And honestly, serving Jesus is the greatest joy in my entire life. I just tell people this. I say half the battle of following Christ is just not giving up. Mm -hmm. Jesus said those who persevere to the end will be saved. It's just a lot of us quit before we ever see God get the glory in our life. I just tell people, keep trusting God till you see him get the glory. It's why Jesus told Martha, didn't I tell you that if you just believed, you would see my father get the glory. And I feel like a lot of us, it's just, we stop believing. We stop going to church. Well, Jesus didn't work for me, so I'm not going to follow him. And honestly, we're not even giving God a chance to write the story. It's just that we live in a microwave society that if we don't see it now, then why would I keep believing? When God is a God of the long view, and God is a God who is full of glory, 
God is a God who has good things prepared in advance for us to walk in, good works. And I'm just convinced, man, we follow Jesus, we obey him and do what he wants us to do. We will watch God always redeem the worst parts, always redeem the biggest regrets for a way that only he can do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. No one can do it. But that's the good news of Jesus Christ is because he can do it. Amen. Micah just preaching over here. I'm loving it, dude. <laughs> and 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 yeah, like I said, I've I've seen you preach here and there. And man, there's no doubt about it that you've got the gift, you've got the calling on that. When did you first start to uh feel that or recognize that, hey, this is what God uh kind of has for me in my life is is to become a preacher, is to become a pastor. You mentioned your church uh when they went to pay for your college, they said, We see something in you. Was it then or was it even before then that you noticed I, that? All I remember is I just had a really deep love for Jesus and a really deep love for the church. And I just volunteered my time to serve. I felt safe there. I felt like I was growing there. But I didn't realize I had this passion to preach until my very first speaking opportunity, which ended up being at a local FCA group. And after I got done speaking, I left there being like, that was the most incredible thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And that spurred me on to say, God, if you ever open up a door to preach, man, I would love to speak, man. I love to do it. But then there were key catalysts in my life. Someone like a Pastor Jerry, where after the first time I preached on a Sunday morning at church, he said, hey, if someone ever asks you to come preach outside of our church, say yes. I was like, uh, okay, that's weird. He's like, you have a gift. You have a gift to speak. And, you know, it's people like that who saw things in me that I didn't see in myself that have cultivated a passion to speak, a passion to preach. And ever since then, uh, man, it's just been a trajectory of going wherever God wants us to go, of being whoever he wants us to be. So the reward is always Jesus. Gifts can come and go. Um, speeches can come and go, but Jesus is like the greatest reward in all of this. Yeah. And Micah Mac Ministries is your ministry. Tell us more about what you do. Yeah. So I literally uh, travel and preach the gospel wherever a door is open. Uh, I've done men's retreats. I've done women's conferences. Don't ask me why I've done women's conferences. <laughs> I have. Um, I've done uh, uh, missions banquets to raise money for missions. I've done summer camps, youth conventions, uh, big outreaches, like so many different things. And it's been so fun because we committed early on that we weren't going to market our ministry, but we were just going to pray fast and ask God to open up the doors where we're supposed to speak. And now our next four summers are completely booked. Um, this fall, completely booked. Spring is already starting to fill up. Next fall, a year from now, starting to fill up. And we've literally watched God just open up the doors. And um, I can't take any credit for it because he's the one that's done it. And it's just been fun. And so in the meantime of all this travel of preaching across the U.S., um, I have a passion to write, to write books. I have a passion to read and reading books. Um, I'm convinced we should always be looking to learn and grow. Um, and the moment we stop, well, we actually drift uh, into areas we don't want to be in or shouldn't be in. And so that's just 
a little bit about us and uh, our family does this together. I have a five-year-old girl, a three-year-old boy, and uh, we get to do this together. It's a blast. That's awesome. Yeah. How long have you and your wife been married for now? Uh, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage. Congratulations, so. man. That's a big milestone. <laughs> it is. And uh, every day uh, is uh, needed to make a marriage go. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, you write books. And tell us a little bit about uh, your book that you came out with. I believe it was in 2020. Yeah. Yep. So I wrote a book called Death to Life. You just heard a good portion of the premise of it on this podcast. Uh, there's two parts to the book. The first part is very inspirational, motivational, story, narrative driven. The second part of the book is very practical. Uh, once God brings you from death to life, now how do you stay in his life? And so the second part is very practical. And then um, I'm my goal is to write 100 books by the time I die. That's my goal. And book number two is done. I can't fully say the title yet. Um, but I'm very excited about number two and just some of the other God ideas that are coming down the pipe. So we have what we have today because people decided to put ink to paper. It's why we have history books. It's why we have knowledge is because people pass things down and I don't consider myself the best writer, but I consider myself a passionate one, one that wants others to know, uh, the goodness of God and be able to help encourage others in their walk with them too. Yeah. And that's my last question for you, Micah. When you look back and re you reflect on the goodness of God in your life, what comes to mind? Uh, treating me better than I deserve. Um, Psalms 103 says um, he literally treats us better than our sins deserve. Uh, rather than keeping us in the pit, it says he crowns us. It says he lifts us from the pit. He lifts us from the clay. It's like we deserve death. We deserve judgment. And in turn, every day I get mercies that are new every morning. Like I get to start each day fresh in him. I get to start knowing that his salvation was a free gift for me. I didn't earn it. And then I get to live in joy, knowing that I have good works that he's prepared in advance for me to walk in. And then to walk in those good works and to enjoy it with him to see God get glory from it is awesome. So the goodness of God, it's not earned. It's not, it's not even like something to strive for. It's just who he is. It's learning to enjoy him, enjoy what he's told us. You know, John 15 says, remain in me and remain in my words. Like we could spend the rest of our life just practicing those two things. But I think that's where the secret is. I think that's where true life is found, is learning how to abide in Jesus and remain in him. So when I think about the goodness of God, I just think about uh, even through the, the suffering and the pain, his goodness was still there. Um, his presence is still there. You know, he's a God who is always with us. Not sometimes, you know, he's always with us. He's a God who's ever present. And so, yeah, those are things that come to mind when I think of his goodness. Man, that's awesome. And Mike, I know you got to run. You're a very busy guy, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. How can people follow you? How can people uh, connect with you? Yeah, you can follow us on our website. It's uh, www.mac-ministries.com, mac-ministries.com. And then all of our socials, like social media, Instagram, et cetera, is at Pastor Micah Mac. 
Give them a follow. Check them out. I promise if you bring Micah in, your congregation, your group of teens, whoever's listening, they will hear God in his story. They will be touched by the Holy Spirit. I've experienced it myself. Micah, man, it's amazing to hear what God has done in your life, the redemption that he's brought to you. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Be blessed. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Micah's testimony is pretty incredible, and I love how it speaks of the importance and influence of the local church. It can be really easy to think that church is just the building that you go to to listen to a pastor speak, but it's not that. It's the people within the building. God has blessed us with the opportunity to gather with fellow believers to grow together, disciple one another, and to love and encourage each other as we all work together to carry out the Great Commission. We were never supposed to walk this journey of faith alone, and it's so important that we don't forsake the assembly, like Hebrews 10 tells us. I think of how different Micah's story would have turned out if his family didn't have the local church in their life. He wouldn't have had people to pour into him, show him the love of God, and teach him how to be a man of God. But because he did have those things, you can see how that has made Micah into the amazing pastor, husband, father, and leader that he is today. If you want to hear more of Micah's story, go get a copy of his book, Death to Life, available on Amazon, and I'll attach the link to it in the show notes. Also in the show notes are his website, so if you want to connect with him to have him speak at your event, you can click on it. I'll also link his social media pages there as well. And if you have any questions for Micah, send me a DM at TWTerryPod or use the hashtag AskTWT. If you guys enjoyed Micah's testimony, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to help spread the word about this podcast and get it into as many ears as possible. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back next week with another testimony. In the meantime, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.